you're listening to Soundwise Podcast, a show hosted by Alex in Serbia and Vlada in Poland. Each week we cover a different artist or band and engage in an open and spontaneous debate and discussion about specific parts of their discographies. Our goal is to expand our musical horizons and cover a great range of artists and styles. Find us on Patreon, patreon.com slash soundwisepod and social media at soundwisepod. Hello everyone, welcome to another edition of Soundrise Podcast. Hi Alex, how are you doing today? Hello Vlada, I'm doing good. Struggling a bit with my allergies, so guys, excuse me for my for my voice. Uh, it's another morning episode, Vlada. How do you feel about that? I feel great, to be honest. I think it's the right idea to get this done in the morning while we're still full of energy. So today, speaking of energy, today we're talking about a very energetic band and a very famous one at that. So Alex, would you reveal to our listeners who we're talking about today? Yes, um, this band is a legendary, a legendary band, you know. They, they are one of the most influential influential bands in their category, and that's Metallica. Now, Vlada, I know that if if someone would try to find you, they would probably find you at a Metallica concert. That's your second home, I guess. So, can you share a bit a bit of information about this band? Yes. Yeah, so, I guess there's not much new we can say about Metallica, but. For those who may not be familiar with all the details, the band was founded in LA, in Los Angeles, in 1981, and they recorded their first demo in 1982. Um, one of the first iterations of the band featured none other than Dave Mustaine, who went on to f- form another formidable act, Megadeth. Uh, so there's a lot of notoriety between Dave Mustaine and Metallica about the way he was kicked out of the band. Uh, Following his departure, Kirk Hammett joined the band to form the classic lineup of Lars Ulrich, uh, James Hatfield, Kirk Hammett, and Cliff Burton. So this lineup recorded three records, which are now widely considered some of the greatest classics of the heavy metal genre. Uh, What's really special about Metallica is that in many ways they helped define and shape the thrash metal genre. Even though nowadays you'll find a lot of detractors among the thrash metal fans, originally Metallica were the true trailblazers of the genre. Um, however, in 1991, the band really hit the big time with their um, multi million selling album, uh, the Black Album, or simply the self-titled album Metallica with the infamous Black cover. Um, So this album was more streamlined compared to their previous work and sounded somewhat more commercial, which led to these huge sales numbers. Um, And ever since then, Metallica has been somewhat controversial within the metal community, some people think of them as sellouts, as the band that didn't really stick with metal, with the full integrity. Um, it did not help that band went through several different uh, changes throughout the years. 
experimenting with different sounds and different genres one may add especially in load and reload albums and then the the much maligned Saint Anger that came out in 2003 uh, nowadays Metallica are somewhat trying to reconnect with their roots even though their latest efforts kinda sound like a cross between different things they were doing at different points of their career um, and of course they're still widely popular, they still attract millions and millions of people to their concerts uh, they still sell millions of albums but not, not, nevertheless there's still a lot of controversy when it comes to this act so Alex today we're gonna have a slightly different approach uh, we're going to try to talk about their entire discography, not album by album, but more in, in, in a sense that we will try to talk about their two different eras, before the Black Album and after the Black Album. And we could kind of say that one of us is more leaning towards the early era and the other one leans more towards the late stage of the band's career. So Alex, let's start this with the question of what is your favorite Metallica album? That's what I really want to know. Okay, good question and not an easy one. Um, I'm kind of torn between Load and Saint Anger, uh, even though both albums uh, offer different uh, different stuff, so to say, and different energy and uh, songwriting. And um, now the the heads of the metal heads around the world have just popped because somebody actually said that Saint Anger might be their favorite Metallica record. Yes, yes, dear listeners, I know that this is controversial, and to add a bit of spice, uh, I really like the snare drum on Saint Anger, and I'm really... Oh, come on, you're giving me a heart <laughs> attack. The snare drum of all the things on that record, that's what you like? No, I just want to point it out, because I guess that a lot of uh, opposition towards Saint Anger really dislikes that. I really like their drumming there, I think it really stands out and makes the it makes this album sound iconic because of their uh, drumming uh, what exactly is iconic about it i i can just bang on the pots in my kitchen and get the same sound yes and that really boosts the energy and what i have to say uh actually i have to ask you have you ever um heard that drum uh live on, uh, on Metallica concerts? No, actually, nowadays when they do St. Anger songs, they sound much better live and they don't have that grating sound going on. Um, oh, I, God. I recently heard Frantic the last time I saw them live, which was a, a year ago or less even, before this horrible COVID time, and they did a fantastic version of Frantic. And guess what? It did not include that horrible snare drum. And it had a guitar solo. And it had a guitar solo. So what about that? The complete absence of guitar solos on Saint Anger. I really like it that way. I'm not gonna lie, guys. I really enjoy the album as it is. With all these these different sounds, with the absence of solos. 
this is this is what Saint Saint Anger is, and it, it has nothing to do with those melodic guitar solos that you can hear on, let's say, Injustice for All. It is about being consistent, being constant with your punchy sounds. So that's what I like about Saint Anger, and that's why it kind of competes for the first spot on my list. But I have to say, at the end of the day, I think Load is a better album and it it surely deserves my number one spot. Uh, songs like um, Bleeding Me, uh, uh, King Nothing, like from start to finish a, a ton of great tracks. I also like the album cover and I think this marked a different era. This is the first album that was pretty much different compared to the previous one. Previous ones. Um, first that I want to point out is James Hetfield's vocals. Um, I think he sounded much better. Well, not much better, but uh, significantly better. You know, obviously better. Because I think that with these older albums, he was leaning towards screaming vocals. While on Load, he was kind of more, let's say, groovy and deep and growling. Would you agree with that, Vlada? Yeah, definitely. That change of his vocal style is quite evident past the Black Album and even on the Black Album you can tell and uh, what's interesting about that time is that he started taking singing lessons around the time of the Black Album um, so yeah I mean I kinda like James in all of his different versions I think he's, he's a phenomenal vocalist in terms of how he expresses himself he may not have a great range but he has a lot of power and a lot of gruff, which I really enjoy hearing. And I think, especially on Load, I like how badass he sounds, like uh, this sort of take-no-prisoners attitude. And he sounds real, he sounds genuine. You know, the thing is, this might be a controversial thing to say, but as much as I love his vocals in the early albums, and though that style of singing really fits the early albums perfectly, I think he sounds more genuine on Load. I think that's who he really is. You know, when he sings songs like The House That Jack Built, which is about his own personal demons fighting with alcoholism, you can tell, you know, that he's digging deep into his soul. And this is something that's kind of absent from some of the early stuff, even though the early stuff also has personal stuff, don't get me wrong, especially songs like Dyer's Eve. Uh, where he addresses all the trauma that he had dealing with his parents. Uh, but yeah, I think there's something to that uh, to that style which is present on load. Do you think that songwriting on both Load and Saint Anger were more, let's say, realistic and more, uh, I don't know, human, less poetic and less artistic? Would you agree with that? Uh, well, I would definitely say that the early albums had a much more elaborate style of writing, and they were, I don't know, there's, it, you know, sometimes, this might be a weird comparison, but when I think about the early albums, like Master of Puppets, or Ride the Lightning, or And Justice for All, uh, it kind of reminds me of the way Pink Floyd made albums, like they're so elaborate, so rich in detail, the lyrics are very well thought out, like everything is just, everything is so 
intricate, but in a way that's very accessible. You know, unlike so many other metal bands of the era, I think Metallica knew how to be both arty and accessible, which I think elevated them above all other acts. And then with Load and St. Anger, it's more primal, it's more just pure emotion rather than uh, seeking some great artistic heights, even though there are exceptions to that rule as well. I mean, on Load, you have songs like The Outload, Torn, or Bleeding Me, which I find to be some of the greatest songs the guys ever did. And they're also nine-minute epics, uh, rich in, in musical detail, just in a different way. So, yeah, I kind of agree with, with your assessment there, but... Speaking of that, uh, what do you think about the early albums? So, if I understood correctly, you really lean more towards the late period, which is quite unusual and very rare for Metallica fans. So, what do you think about those early records, starting with Kill Em All and then ending with Injustice for All, or let's say Black Album as a transitional point? Okay, before I jump to the older albums, albums, sorry, um, I just want to point out, uh, I really like Jason Newstead as a person, and I think that he, uh, when he was at Metallica, I think that he was the backbone of that band, and really provided the soul of Metallica, even though I think his bass playing was pretty much underestimated. Um, he has some really good riffs on Load, but overall I think that he wasn't featured enough, but that's another story. Uh, let me get back to your question. So the early stuff, okay. So Kill 'Em All. Uh, I remember Vlada that uh, when we talked about Metallica a couple of years ago, you said, "Oh, Kill 'Em All is the album that everybody likes," and I think that Kill 'Em All is yes, it is accessible, and to me, it sounds like punk music meets heavy metal. Yeah, that's really... exactly what it is. Yes, and. That's really cool. I, I, I like the sound. I like the album cover. One of the best Metallica album covers, in my opinion. Uh, and I really get kind of angry whenever I see some uh, edits when someone is trying to make a meme of, of this album cover because it's so good and, and, and original. So, Kill 'em All, a good album. Nothing, nothing major to complain about here. Then the other albums are kind of going uh, a step forward, a step ahead, so to say. The Ride the Lightning also has that legendary album artwork, but it has a different approach, and I think Ride the Lightning is where their legendary status starts to, to grow. What do you think? Uh, well, I would definitely say that Kill Em All is where the legend begins, because... I think Kill Em All is a record that while imperfect and while obviously recorded by a very young, inexperienced band, pretty much defined the genre of thrash metal. I think that they combined that punk sensibility with their uh, new wave of British heavy metal influences like Diamond Head, Judas Priest, you know, stuff like that. And that's where they forged the new sound. And then they took that formula and did something even grander with it on Ride the Lightning, where their songwriting became even more mature, uh, the compositions became more detailed, 
less punk oriented but still pretty aggressive uh they added a, a ballad which at that time interestingly enough for so many metal fans at that time that was considered a sellout adding a ballad to your album you know a fade to black is the ballad in question uh, such a hauntingly beautiful tune about suicide and i think it's they, a beautiful song yeah and they just took it up uh, up a notch with that one and then just kind of continued with monster and and justice for all i think it's really hard to tell uh it's, it's really hard to to choose one out of those three records they're so consistent and so so great so it's only like a matter of your own mood even though i kind of gravitate mostly towards injustice for all but on some days when i listen to master of puppets i really think it's it's the most immaculate heavy metal recording of all time it just it, it almost sounds otherworldly what they did on monster uh just that atmosphere, the sounds, it's like, it doesn't sound human, it sounds like it's made somewhere else, you know, outside this realm of existence. And that's why sometimes when you listen to the Black Album or Load, you may feel very disappointed by comparison. If you just listen to something like Master of Puppets, it's so epic and grand and otherworldly that that other stuff just sounds kind of plain by comparison. And I think that's wrong, but that's how you may feel if you listen to them back to back. I just think that these later records have different sort of uh, strengths going for them. And these strengths are not any less important than what they had going in, in, the, early, in the early years, but still that kind of uh, magnitude, I think, is something unmatched by most metal bands. W what do you think about that? I think that's a fair and objective statement, and I think that you're not letting your emotions and your personal taste uh, get in the way. Um, yes, and speaking of Diamond Hand, you, you mentioned that band. Let's not forget the great cover done by Metallica of, of the song Am I Evil? I think that's one of the first songs that I heard from Kill Em All, but obviously we all know Seek and Destroy and uh, Whiplash and other. I, I and just other need songs. to correct you a bit because Emma Evil wasn't originally on Kill Em All, but there are some editions where it's a bonus track. So, yeah, it was recorded around that time. I think after Kill Em All was recorded, and it came out originally on, on uh, Creeping Death EP. So this was the time around. Uh, ride the lightning or maybe between the two records okay thanks um now vlad i want to ask you about um uh, injustice for all now you know that i'm a bass player that, and that i always uh, focus on bass lines i love that album because of its energy because of the thunderous guitars because also of the fast bass drumming but how do you explain and how do you get over the fact that the bass is so quiet on this on this album? You know, knowing that Jason Newstead, a very cool and important member of Metallica, was there. How do you explain that? Well, I mean, there are many versions about this. Um, the most common belief is that the band 
was still so grief-stricken after the death of Cliff Burton in 1986. Their, uh, their great bass player, the guy, who, <clears throat> the guy who was more than just a mere band member, who had a lot of knowledge about music theory, who was able to contribute to songs in a major way, for example, on, uh, For Whom the Bell Tolls, you can hear his wonderful bass line at the beginning. It kind of drives the song forward. And most importantly, he was their friend and they were a very tight-knit group. So when this happened, they almost didn't go on. They almost refused to carry on. But then, after some considerations, they decided to get a new bass player. And Jason really wanted it badly. Jason went there fully prepared. He, he managed to get their set list somewhere and learned every song, every detail. And they saw that this, this guy was willing to give everything for this band. And, and mind you, it's really important to point out that Jason used it prior to joining Metallica was the leader of another really good heavy metal act, Flotsam and Jetsam. So he left this band, even though they were doing, relatively speaking, they were doing well, but not like Metallic, of course, not even close. And he was willing to give up that position of, of uh, creativity, of leading the band, of being able to call the shots, to just be another guy in Metallica. That's how important Metallica was to metal fans back then, I think. So, the theory goes that they deliberately muted his bass as a sort of tribute to Cliff Burton. Now, the band members still deny this to this day, and they say they, the problem was that their ears were shut from all the concerts, and they couldn't hear well in the mixing room, so they kept putting the treble up and the bass down, and as a result, you have the record where the bass is barely audible, which I think is a shame. So as a kid, when I listened to this record, when I listened to Injustice For All, I didn't really pay attention to the mix, to the bass or anything. I just took the music as it was, and it was amazing that way. And one thing I have to point out is that it had this incredibly haunting sound, which now, in retrospect, I see is the direct result of the mix of the record. So I'm not really sure that a different mix would improve the record. I think I really love it the way it is. Now, of course, I think I would like to hear it with more bass or with a different mix, just out of curiosity. But this album, to me, is perfection. Just uh, the band at the height of its power, James' vocals really came into their own. He has this really intense sound, like his gruffy vocals truly dominate here. Uh, Kirk has never had better solos than on Injustice for All. And most importantly, this is the most political album of their career. And it just shows this band with, with, without any will to compromise with anything, which I think is directly responsible for fans being so disappointed with their later output because they felt that that band from Injustice for All, the band that was willing to, to challenge the world, was kind of gone, you know, 
that they that the band members sort of went soft by comparison and the the riffs on Injustice for All are just out of this world. I have to say, James Hatfield is a true riff master. What do you say about that? Um, I have to say that Injustice for All is probably my favorite um, old school album. Not sure if it's Injustice for All or Kill 'Em All. Um, the the melodic and the theat theatrical aspect of Injustice for All is amazing and um, as we sit here and record, it's August 24. Uh, tomorrow, Injustice for All is turning 32 years old. So, happy 32nd birthday to Injustice for All. And I want to ask you about the drumming that I mentioned, Vlada, that we talked about a lot in this episode. A lot of a lot of people out there, a lot of music fans, say that Lars Ulrich is a mediocre drummer or if you take him out of Metallica, he wouldn't be able to produce anything. What do you think about his drumming skill set? Look, I think uh, people are exaggerating at times because Lars, to me, sounds like a fairly competent drummer, especially on those early records. He sounds damn amazing on Master of Puppets, for example. I think that... It's quite possible that over the years his drumming skills have somewhat deteriorated and maybe that's what rubs the fans the wrong way, especially when they compare <clears throat> when they compare the drumming on Metallica albums to the drumming on other heavy metal albums by Slayer or Megadeth. It kind of leaves something to be desired, especially these last few records. But I think people have to take into consideration that Lars, alongside James, is uh, one of the true masterminds of this band. And, uh, and I think, uh, I think that's, if, if you take Lars out of Metallica, you won't have Metallica. So as simple as that, I think there's no band without him or James. Now, in my opinion, this is my personal view is that James is the one who propelled the band to the stardom. I think that without James, Lars wouldn't get anywhere. But that being said, he probably had a massive role in shaping the sound, uh, making sure that the songs are structured in a certain way. So I wouldn't underestimate him. And I think he's still a fairly good drummer. When I see them live, I really don't mind his drumming so much. Except one time in Belgrade when they played live, I was kind of close to the stage. And never ever in my life have I experienced this. His drum was so loud, so loud that it literally made me physically sick. And it literally ruined the music a bit for me. And I think that shows that uh, Lars might have a huge ego issue. I think nobody needs to be that loud, you know. Yes, because the drums are, you know, always the loudest instrument. But if it's too loud, it kind of ruins the experience, definitely. Um, I, I don't really think that he's a bad drum. I think he perfectly suits Metallica. And as I said, I really like the innovation of that pot drum, that pot snare oh, drum. Oh, come on, please, please, we'll lose all kind of 
uh, all, all integrity that we have amassed so far throughout all these episodes, you're just gonna throw it in the wind with your Look. ridiculous statements about Lars' uh, pot-sounding drums. Look, I'm in the minority here, and I'm not a, I'm not ashamed of it because it's it, it's something that always stands out and always all shred. It All shreds of credibility energy. just gone. Yeah, gone, gone. I'm sorry, dear listeners. I think at this moment we have nothing else to do but to shut down our podcast. So I apologize for this travesty that was being said in this episode. And we will try to bounce back and recover from this somehow. I can sense Metallica fans throwing stones at us because of all these... Um, blasphemic uh, statements from me. <laughs> um, okay, my final word about the first era, so to say, of Metallica. So I, I wasn't a huge fan of the sound, especially the um, uh, the bass. I'm not talking about the solos, and you know, I, I really like the mel- the melodic element, but when it comes to mixing it and and the final outcome, I just it wasn't really my cup of tea compared to Load and Saint Anger and also Reload. And I thought that the vocals were better in the 90s in Metallica. So, Vlad, I would like to wrap this up with your opinion on the Black album, so the, the transition album of Metallica. Uh, well, but first, we forgot to talk about the big one, the big album. You know, we we mentioned it, but I still didn't really get your opinion about Master of Puppets because that's the one where people go crazy, where people think that that's the album that makes people believe Metallica is the greatest metal band of all time. So what's your take on that one? Oh, yes. Oh, sorry, I, I, I forgot that. Okay. Okay, so Master of Puppets... Um, features some of the greatest Metallica songs, you know, uh, Orion, uh, Battery, also the title track, uh, Master of Puppets. Um, I don't know, uh, I, I really kind of associated with the metal genre, like I would always single out this album as one of the greatest, but if I would to compare it to my music taste, it wouldn't be one of the greatest, I have to say, Vlada. To put it shortly, is that... Dear, dear listeners, another travesty that was said here. So, again, you have to, you have to forgive my dear colleague. He, <laughs> he just grew up in another era, and uh, obviously... This just I'm went a over new metal this. fan, right? <laughs> yeah, I mean, he, he's the guy who likes corn. What else can we say? Oh, that would be a really good question. Um, do we have fans that like both uh, Metallica and Korn? And by Metallica, I mean these old albums. Oh, I'm really... sure. Yeah, yeah, probably. So if you are out there and you like both Korn and Metallica's old stuff, let us know in the comments. You know, let's let's break the stereotypes. Let's Let's show people that you can enjoy all these things, you know, and... That there's no shame in it, right? There's no shame at all. It's, it's just this co-host of mine called Vlada that likes to 
uh, separate people and accuse them of being traitors and stuff. Yes. Not okay. a traitor. You, you just you just lack the sensibility to understand the magnitude of the early Metallica, and uh, for some reason you prefer listening to people banging on cooking pots. <laughs> well, that was a good description, I have to say. Um, okay, so back to Master of Puppets, and with, with all these, this is the case with all these old albums. I can listen to them and I can show respect and see the uh, originality and the uh, authentic stuff. But I can't really go crazy about this, Vlada. For the life of me, I just don't get it. I just don't understand how anyone can be indifferent to this kind of music. I think those four early records, especially the, the ones from Ride the Lightning to And Justice for All, are such epic pieces of music that uh, even this day, to, to this day, I, I still get chills when I listen to these records, even though I pretty much know them by heart, and I've listened to them for um, more than 20 years now. I think I, I listened to Injustice for All for the first time back in 1994, so that's a long period of time, and it, is, it still gives me the same feeling. So I just don't understand. Or, or Master of Puppets, you know, these songs like Disposable Heroes or Leper Messiah. Like there's something so so deep in these songs. So like, I just find it so difficult to find any other metal bands that gave me a similar feel. Maybe Death. I think even though I, I didn't really grow up with Death, so I don't have that kind of attachment. But... It just, these albums are unique, truly unique. Yes, they are, and mind you, I'm not indifferent. I'm just not blown away by them, I have to say. Now, someone would consider that to be indifferent or uh, ignoring the, the true aspect or underappreciating these albums, but, you know, at the, end, at, at the end of the day, it's all about our personal taste, Lada, right? Well, yeah, but, you know, you can only go so far with personal taste. Um, but, okay, let, let, let's stop uh, joking around with this stuff. I mean, of course, I guess for some people, it just, it just doesn't cut it the same way. Uh, but to me, it's interesting to talk about these more controversial albums, because when we... When we when it comes to Master of Puppets, or when it comes to Ride the Lightning, I think most people will agree that these are great records. I don't think many people will actually claim that these are bad in any way, right? So, what about the Black Album, as you, as you already mentioned? Uh, the Black Album, in my opinion, is, is not a step forward for Metallica, but it, it was a step that maybe they needed to make at that time. And I think as much as commercial it came off, it was still a, a wonderful record. And when, when I was a kid, I didn't really make a difference between this record and the earlier ones. To me, it was all the same kind of Metallica that I loved and enjoyed. It was only when Load came out that I was in utter confusion. I didn't know what to make of it as a 13-year-old, I think, or a 12-year-old. 12-year-old, yes. When Load came out, I was so disappointed because that wasn't my Metallica. It sounded like a completely different band. 
But with Black Album, yeah, that's the same Metallica that you hear on Master of Puppets. They're just more streamlined, maybe more catchy, throwing in a couple of ballads. But the feel is generally the same. And I don't understand why fans make such a big fuss about it, certain fans. Just enjoy the music. It's, it's a great record, great riffs. Um, maybe not as epic as the previous ones, but who cares? I mean, it's still a great record, right? Absolutely, I totally agree. It was a slight step um, back compared to the, the previous albums in my eyes. I don't know, it was a, as I said, it was a transitional album and I couldn't quite pick the side here. You know, it was difficult for me because I'm more of a second stage Metallica fan, so to say. So this was slightly confusing, but you can't really ignore all the um, all the great tracks here. Now I want to ask you, Vlada, you have two probably most well-known songs here of Metallica, Enter Sandman and Nothing Else Matters. Would you classify them as the best tracks on this album? No, 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 not at all. Even though I have to say, uh, both tracks, I, I really enjoy them. They've been overplayed to death, but when I hear them in concert, I really enjoy them in such setting. When I'm at home, I don't really want to hear them so much, to be fair. But to me, the real highlights of the Black Album are the deeper cuts. You know, songs like Holier Than Thou, The God That Failed. The, the God That Failed is such a personal song by James. And that's why I don't understand all these accusations of the band selling out and stuff like that. When a band sells out, they don't write personal stuff. They don't write the stuff where they put themselves out to the world where they expose their own weaknesses let's say or their own traumas or psychological issues uh, addictions that's not what commercial bands do so uh, in my opinion metallica never really sold out in that way in that sense they might have sold out in some other ways in terms of like being this big commercial entity that is soon going to turn into Kiss and start start selling like uh, caskets with Metallica written on it or some shit like that, you know? So, but no, I think these songs come from the same place that the earlier material came from, but maybe even from the more mature place in some instances, like with The God That Failed or The Unforgiven, which I feel are very personal songs. Yes, you just mentioned The Unforgiven. What do you think about the fact that The Unforgiven has also uh, The Unforgiven 2 and Unforgiven 3? Like, that's a really interesting continuation of a single song. Yeah, I really wonder how that came about, because I always thought of The Unforgiven 2 as some kind of reversal of The Unforgiven 1. Like, it has a lot of similar musical elements, and I really enjoyed it when it came out. I remember being super stoked about that song. But then mm, The Unforgiven 3 also sounds quite good, especially this new version they did with the orchestra uh, on SNM 2. So check that out when, when it's more available. I think it's already available. So check that out. Uh, but I don't know. I really wonder how that came about, how, what James was thinking, whether it was an accident, you know, the way he stumbled upon the second song, and then maybe when they were doing uh, Death Magnetic 
they kind of wanted to re reverse the clock, go back in time. So I think they, they wanted to revisit some of the moments in their catalog. So maybe that's why they did the third one. But yeah, Black Album, I think, as I previously said, has a lot of personal stuff and um, it's more polished, has that Bob Rock production, but I don't think they sold out. I think that they felt they needed to make a move towards a more streamlined sound because they were kind of lost in all those progressive rock riffs that uh, and justice for all contains and uh, i think that's what i like about metallica their willingness to change from one record to another do you think that being able to switch between sounds and establish these different eras is something that characterizes a great band you know if you're gonna repeat the same formula for decades you're basically not that talented. Would you agree with me, Vlada? Oh, for sure. I, w I wouldn't say that they're not talented if they repeat themselves, but yeah, I mean, uh, the great bands, the legendary bands, they all went through different stages and changed their sound and challenged their fans, challenged the per perception that existed about them. Uh, you know, the Beatles changed so much within the span of seven years. And that's one of the things that people still talk about, you know, how the Beatles were able to do so much within such a short span. So I really don't understand the criticism that Metallica gets for changing their sound, especially with Load. I mean, look at all these peers of theirs, like Slayer and Megadeth. They, they were never capable of pulling off the same trick and I think that's what makes Metallica the greatest out of the bunch and uh, dear listeners if you disagree please let me know why I'm wrong um, so Load you said might be your favorite Metallica album I also think of Load in very high regard I think it's one of those records that truly challenged the listener because it's such a dramatic change. When I was a kid, I hated it for that reason because I thought my old Metallica was gone. But then with years, I really embraced it because there's so much to like about this record. As I previously mentioned, the epics like Bleeding Me, The Outlaw Torn, uh, The House That Jack Built, where James talks about his personal demons, his fight with alcoholism, ballads like Hero of the Day, so wonderfully crafted. Mama Said, a country ballad, again, a very personal song. Cure like is the, also a great track. Yeah, the band really branched out and they were willing to try something new. And I, I bet my life they knew they were going to have a huge backlash because they could have easily made Black Album Part 2 and pleased everyone. And you know, some people say, oh, well, but at that time, uh, thrash metal wasn't very fashionable anymore. People didn't care about it. Yeah, but this was metallic. And at that time, they were such major stars that they could have released anything and it would have sold. And they could have easily stuck with the same formula. So I don't think they did this to sell out. I think that James was probably under the influence of corrosion, of conformity, Another great band, a band 
that were always friends with Metallica and I think he wanted to go in that direction, do some stuff that's more raw, that has more of that stoner garage rock feel and uh, but I think they did it spectacularly and to this day I don't understand people who claim oh load is too long or uh, they should have like uh, they should have taken the best tracks from load and reload and released one record no I think load is perfectly fine the way it is I don't think it has any major filler moments I think most of the songs are really amazing to listen to so yeah I, I, I hold it in a very very high regard I think it's one of maybe top three or top four Metallica records certainly better than the Black Album in my book definitely oh finally we can agree on something Vlada <laughs> Um, as I said, I don't really have much to add here from start to finish. Such a good album, leaning more towards some um, uh, rock rock sound, so to say, but still keeping the the metal uh, element. Also, the lyrics and the, um, the singing. You know, I, I, I even wouldn't call it a metal album. I don't think that matters. I think these kind of genre labels only matter to people who are too narrow-minded you know doesn't have to be metal to be great i don't know if i would classify load as a metal album but i don't care because it's still a, a great record yeah in terms of sounds i mean it would be easier to kind of classify stuff but as you said it's not the name that matters here it's it's the content it's the, the actual songs here Vlada, the next album Reload, some say that it's just a continuation, it's it's a copy of Load. W what do you think about people that are saying that? I mean, I think they're right, because just the leftover tracks from the sessions, basically Load number two. Some great tracks there, though. The Memory remains still a fan favorite after all these years. Every time when they do it live, people just go insane. So I just, I don't understand Metallica fans. They trashed all these songs. They trashed all these records. And then bam, when they see Metallica live and they go into The Memory Remains, everyone is going crazy. When they go into Frantic, everyone is going crazy. So please make up your mind, people. Do you hate these records or not? Okay, what, what do you say? I, I'm not starting to question whether all these uh, critical and uh, moaning fans actually go to concerts. I'm pretty sure they do. Maybe not all of them, but I'm, I'm fairly certain most of them do. And I think, I mean, I don't want to be harsh. I think I understand the disappointment and criticism because I, I was also very disappointed when I was younger and... I kind of came to terms with the fact that I will never get another Justice for All and Master of Puppets and I should just enjoy these albums for what they are and not expect any, uh, any more music like that because you can't expect the band to repeat themselves unless they're ACDC, you know, you're not going to get it. Like, and who wants a band like ACDC as great as they are, you know, I just don't get very enthusiastic about their new work because they just expect the same old. 
you know, like uh, if I want to listen to ACDC, I will revisit the 70s records. So I think there's that, and um, I understand some some of the criticism. A lot of it is justified, but sometimes I think that there is some kind of schizophrenia going on because the same people who criticize all these songs they go insane when they hear them in concert. Yes, I guess that's a question that we want to ask all the listeners that we have, all, all, all the metal fans and Metallica fans here. All right, so moving on to the 21st century, Vlada, with the infamous Saint Anger album. Okay, so first I want to say, again, from start to finish, a ton of great tracks. Frantic was the first... Um, Saint Anger track that I ever heard, uh, followed by the title track Saint Anger, and what I really really liked about it is it's all about the emotion and the anger and the aggression about this album, which I really like, and which is something that I genuinely take from metal music. Whenever I need that kind of energy, I just listen to metal music or, or some other uh, heavy types of music so to say and I remember also the um, the music video of Frantic it's so good so personal you know do you, do you remember the music video of Lada? oh yeah of course I mean I've seen it so many times um, but I have to say about Saint Anger that I do understand the hatred that it gets primarily because of that annoying pot sound you know it's so good it's not good, okay. And another thing is, I've, I've thought a lot about this record, and uh, here are my main issues with this album. First of all, at some points they sound too much like the new metal albums of the time, the new metal art art uh, artists, and. I just don't understand. Were they trying to pander to the new audience? Were they trying to sell out with this one? Now that's a genuine question here because, or were they just trying to, to incorporate these sounds because they genuinely like them? That's one question I have. I'm not sure. They don't exactly sound like those new metal bands, thanks God, because that's a redeeming factor. And the music is not that dumbed down, you know, like to, to sound like... Um, Limb biscuit or something. So thanks God for that. Uh, another thing that strikes me is that I feel this record is unfinished. I feel that, and if you look at at the film, some kind of monster. If you watch that film, you will see how many problems they had to deal with at that time, with James' rehab and everything, and him being on a very carefully monitored schedule, not being able to maybe fully dedicate himself to the record. I think that that's probably why the record kind of comes across as being somewhat unfinished. There's a lot of tracks here that I think the band could easily do away with, like Invisible Kid. That track just goes nowhere. It's just like uh, based on one simple riff, the lyrics are kind of grating. just doesn't have much going for it. Uh, Dirty Window somewhat better, okay, kind of catchy, but still feels a bit unfinished and a, a bit uh, 
well, too unpolished, even though I guess that's the point of this record, to be unpolished, but not to this extent, because there are other tracks here that sound awesome and fully realized and that have such a great emotional resonance. The uh, Frantic, as you mentioned. Now, some people mock the lyrics, um, my lifestyle, that style, whatever. I, I think uh, these lyrics might be a bit might be a bit cringy, but at the same time, I like the raw emotion behind them. I, I like James's vocals again. I think he's very powerful on some of these tracks. And uh, I love that kind of badass attitude that he adopted on the Load albums and on this one too. Saint Anger, also great track, great title track. The, the, the famous uh, Alcatraz prison video, was it? No, it was St. Quentin. Sorry, Alcatraz is closed. It was St. Quentin. Uh, just amazing. Again, great riffs, uh, very melodic. But he has some really awkward hip-hop kind of backing vocals, which I felt was also this kind of flirtation with new metal bands. Completely unnecessary. Completely just spoiling the whole thing. When I first heard that, you know, that part, flush it out, flush it out. I just thought, what the hell are they doing? What the hell are they doing? That was my, my first thought. I just couldn't, for the life of me, understand why a band with so much integrity and with such talent would include something so banal uh, in their songs. So there's that, you know. It's still a great track. Some Kind of Monster, very good track. But my personal favorite is Unnamed Feeling. I think that's one of Metallica's best tracks. And again, I love those personal James Hatfield tunes where he talks about his personal demons. This time he sings about anxiety. And if you've ever had experience with anxiety, you can totally relate to this song. He perfectly captures that moment that feeling of anxiety and for that track alone I'd never ever trash this album and I think this album has some other great stuff going on for it and is kind of unfairly maligned by a lot of people but it probably has to do with those bad things that I listed that people can't see beyond them uh, what's your take on that? You remember when we covered Korn in one of our episodes and we talked about all these uh, self-deprecation lyrics, you know, being so anxious and unhappy with yourself. That's, that's you know, that's the topic of this album. And you're totally right. I think they drew some influence from those new metal bands. I mean, let's not forget this album was released in 2003. So the beginning of the 2000s was a, a new metal period. And why uh, would Metallica draw influence from new metal bands when they're like when they're so below them that, that's what i don't get it um i think that they kind of played the uh risky card with load and reload and then wanted to go back and play it safe in a way but is it was this playing safe that's also a good question because this is so unlike anything the band has ever done before or since uh, playing safe in the sense of following the trends at that time Vlada. okay know? okay but that 
that just justifies criticism in my mind, and that, that's the low point of this record. But some of the songwriting and ideas and the raw emotion and James's performance really saves it, I think. And I, I honestly feel that people who didn't like it back then should go and revisit it and give it another chance, listen to it with, with a more open mind, try to get past some of these flaws. Yes, exactly. Okay, Vlada, um, now what I want to also point out here, this is the album, this is the period actually, where when uh, they introduced the new ba their new bassist. Now, Bob Rock played bass for this album, but after releasing Saint Anger, their current bassist, Rob Trujillo, was hired. So that kind of marked a new era when it comes to their bass sound and what do you think so far is Rob Trujillo been has he been a good replacement for Jason Newstead I think Trujillo was a great replacement mainly because of his chops because of his instrumental prowess people still claim Cliff Burton was the best bass player they had and from the creative standpoint probably but I think Trujillo might be the guy with the best chops. Now, that's questionable, but he might be. I mean, he he's really stunning, and his playing style, and also he's such a great music aficionado. He did a documentary about Jaco Pistorius, for example. His son, who is now only, what, 13, 14 years old, he already played with Korn live. So, I mean, that tells you everything you need to know. This guy is a phenomenal musician and a great human being going by all accounts so definitely a good replacement for jason even though it's kind of hard to replace jason's energy and presence live on stage and i really regret never seeing metallica with jason yeah that, that's what i want to say here i mean jason newstead i might be controversial here but jason newstead was basically Metallica in a nutshell. I think that he was truly the backbone of that band when he was there. Uh, maybe kind of like, not the backbone, but maybe the soul of the band, you know, like they, uh, he, he was the one who infused their live performances with so much energy and so much vigor and I think that's something that they kind of lost a bit with his departure. But what they gained in Trujillo was great professionalism, great um, a great instrumentalist. So I think it's a win-win situation for Metallica anyway. Um, I think they're, they're, they're doing fine without Jason. And they probably regret the way things ended between them. But maybe it was also good for Jason to leave Metallica. Um, we see that nowadays he doesn't really do much because he has some physical issues, uh, some health issues that are basically a consequence of his years with Metallica. So there's that too. It's not that easy to be in Metallica. Yes, yes, exactly. Okay, my kind of final say about Jason is, sorry guys, I may sound like a fanboy, but I really rate Jason and I really like his backing vocals. And I want to ask you, Vlada, personally. So knowing, you know, all the stuff that happened between Metallica and Jason, you know, when, when he was about to depart the band, 
do you think that Metallica did Jason wrong after all, all these years? I don't know. It's so hard to talk about these things when you're not really privy to what was going on. Maybe they did. Maybe they didn't. Maybe they just had a certain way of doing things that he didn't want to go along with. Um, I don't know. It's. It, I guess it's, it's, it's not something you can talk about not having the experience of being in such a big band and having so much fame to deal with and so much pressure. I, I, I'm certain Metallica had too much pressure to deal with. And some of it is their own fault, like the whole Napster fiasco. Uh, but yeah, let's just leave it at that. I, I, wouldn't, I wouldn't comment. Uh, it seems like both Jason and the band are still on good terms, so that's really important here. Okay, one interesting question for you. Do you think that Metallica would ever release Saint Anger with Jason in the lineup? Uh, probably, but... Yeah, I think it, it would have probably sounded similar. And I think, because at this point, Jason just had to go along with whatever other guys wanted, you know, meaning Lars and James. So I think that's why he was so unhappy, because he wasn't able to have any creative output, and uh, that's why he wanted to pursue his own project, which is why they split up. You know, he wanted to do things with his band Echo Brain, but the band members felt that they, they had this rule that no member of Metallica should have their own projects, that they should all fully dedicate their creativity to Metallica. But then on the other hand, he didn't really get enough space to express himself within the band. So that's why you got the split. And uh, yeah, I think they would have released something similar, maybe somewhat different, but pretty much a similar sounding album. Yeah. Okay, so uh, we are now approaching the final two records released by Metallica so far. Vlada, now Death Magnetic. Um, to be honest, uh, before I listened to the album, I was really uh, a fan of the album artwork, so I had kind of high expectations and a positive prejudice, so, so to say. But to be honest, the whole album... It's safe to say that it was disappointing. Sorry to say that to to all to all the Metallica fans, especially the younger ones. You know, I still see young Metallica fans rocking the Death Magnetic T-shirts, but I don't know. I just kind of felt that they weren't quite sure what they were doing here. Well, it just didn't sound like your favorite. Uh, kitchen uh, utensils but yeah <laughs> no but to be more serious um, I think back when it came out the band was kind of getting everyone stoked for the record that would go back to their early period that would be sort of uh, and justice for all volume 2 so everyone was prepared for that record they even uh, they even uh, fired Bob Rock and hired Rick Rubin, one of the greatest producer producers of all time, the guy who worked with Slayer on their 
classic Raining Blood. So people were very excited about getting Metallica back to their thrash roots and so on. And then the record came out and some people were saying, yeah, the old Metallica's back, blah, blah. But it wasn't quite true, right? I think that it's an interesting fusion of uh, some of these thrash elements with more uh, load, reload era elements and uh, a good record at that. Not a bad record by any measure. Uh, kind of a grower, not as immediate as some other stuff, but I really enjoy it nowadays when I put it back on. I really enjoy it. When I first listened to it, I was kind of very critical of it and just kept looking for flaws and I wasn't too happy about it and I even felt Saint Anger was better because it sounded more real and more authentic. Uh, this sounded like the band just trying to patch up an album that's supposed to sound like a classic Metallica album without actually you know putting in their heart and soul into it and I think that's why the album suffers a lot from sounding a bit soulless at times, a bit um, a bit too safe, too contrived. But the redeeming factor is that some of the riffs that James came up with are awesome. And Kirk's solos are a very nice addition to this, especially after the absence of any solos on Saint Anger. So yeah, a good record, a solid record, but somewhat forgettable by comparison to other stuff. I totally agree. I don't have much to add here. Um, obviously, I think most of us would agree that the standard track here is the Unforgiven the 3, but the rest of the album, just not, not great. Good, but not great. I That's don't know about the product. standout track. There are some good tracks here, like... Um, that was just your life, kind of reminiscent of Blackened. I really enjoy it, and um, maybe the day that I, the day that never comes. Yeah, I don't know, but I, I kind of enjoy all of the tracks more or less. I just feel like they didn't really. That I just feel the band wasn't genuine. That's all. I feel like they were trying to pander to their old fans, uh, to their true heavy metal fans. They kind of failed at that. Also. The album was horribly mixed, uh, it sounds distorted, it sounds too loud, it's difficult to listen to, and that's another reason why sometimes fans don't, don't really like it so much. Yes, and we have to mention that after being released by Elektra for 20 plus years, with that Magnetic, uh, they went with uh, Warner Brothers. Yeah, but I don't think that played any role. I think that um, they were just trying to recapture the glory days and kind of failed, but still released a good piece of music. Let's let's just be frank about that. It's not a bad record. It just lacks that kind of creative spark that you had on Load, for example, or or even the Black Album, or Master of Puppets, any of this stuff. This was more like Metallica by numbers. Well said, Vlada, well said. Okay, and now finally the latest release from 2016, Hardwired to Self-Destruct. Vlada, hit me with your thoughts. 
Um, I think somewhat better than Death Magnetic. Again, um, I like the production of this one. It sounds better. It kind of breathes. And it's a really long record. So let's see uh, the tracks. I like how they kind of jump from different styles, you know, from one style to another. Like Atlas Rise is something that could have been recorded by Iron Maiden. Then you have the opening hardwire that kind of harkens back to Kill Em All. And uh, you have Dream No More, which is like the thing that should not be part two, very Lovecraftian. I really love that they go through all these different ideas. I feel like they were much more relaxed doing this record. It, again, it may not sound like super personal. There aren't many moments like that, which I really miss. I miss James getting more personal and more, um, you know, I, I miss those songs that you can truly identify with on some levels. But these are all good tracks. Then you have Man Unkind with its uh, load-like riffage. Um, and, and you know, I have to say, uh, live, these songs sounded really good. I really enjoyed them live. Spit Out the Bone is the one track that everybody was talking about when this came out because it really went back to their thrash roots and it was such a great, long, almost old-style Metallica track, but like everything works on this track and... Uh, Apparently they were really struggling. Was it Martin to Flame the big thing? Was it Martin to Flame like the big deal before the album was released? Yeah, yeah, but then when the record came out, Spit Out the Bone was the track that everybody talked about. Another cool thing that they did here was that they, they recorded a video for each track on the record. So they must have spent a lot of money on that. Um, but wow. it, it was nice to, to see all these videos. So it was kind of an event of sorts, this record, and as such it was better than the previous one. And it's also a bit of a grower, at, at first I was kind of confused by it, but once I, once I dug into it, after the third or fourth listen, it really sank in. I was disappointed with the leading track, Hardwired, I thought it was lazy, I thought it was very generic. But then everything else following that track sounds better, so... Yeah, definitely a step forward, a step in the right direction. Not the metallic of the glory days, but the kind of veteran band that's still enjoyable and still willing to try out things. So yeah, definitely a thumbs up for me. Good, good. I totally agree. It was an upgrade compared to Death Magnetic. And I can say that I enjoyed listening to this album. Martin to Flame is my highlight, but also other tracks as well. Uh, like uh, Am I Savage or Man I'm Kind. So, yes, it, it was a good direction for the band. And uh, I actually wanted to ask you if they play some of these songs live, but I guess they do. And yeah, yeah, a lot of them. And, uh, and they work. They work, especially in relation to the old material, I think. And the band really enjoys doing them. Yes, and... Uh, one thing that's interesting that I actually heard for the first time now during uh, during the recording is that they made um, 
a music video for each track here, I wouldn't really say that that's a positive thing. First of all, I as a music fan don't really, you know, watch music videos that that much. But uh, this is a this is a long album, you know. We have how much? Twelve tracks here, so twelve music videos. Like that's that's some flexing. <laughs> uh, I think I think Metallica always wants to kind of be ahead of others, and they have this sort of megalomaniacal complex. So that might be the reason why they did it. But I kind of like the idea. I like seeing all these videos and getting a new video every week. I think for us fans, that's a nice fan service. So I, I, it cannot hurt for sure. It cannot hurt. Totally agree. Yes. And speaking of live performances, um, Vlad, I want to ask you, uh, when you look at this current lineup, and all the concert that, and all the Metallica concert that you've been to, who is your standout Metallica member when it comes to engaging with the crowd? Uh, when it comes to engaging with the crowd, I think they're all pretty awesome at that. Uh, James, of course, is my favorite. Also, when it comes to musicianship, I think James is the backbone of the band live. His riffs are incredible. He still has it. Lars is kind of sloppy, but it's okay. He does his thing. Kirk is also a bit sloppy sometimes. I feel like he might be a bit tired of playing the same material over and over again. So that's a huge problem with Metallica, that they don't really mix up so much as they should, like because they're afraid to play load songs, for example. They also don't do a lot of songs from Saint Anger or any of these later day albums. So that that's a huge problem for them live because then they end up playing mostly like Black Album and the tracks before the Black Album. And as much as I love hearing them, sometimes it's good for the band to mix things up a bit. You forgot Rob Trujillo, uh, Trujillo, and I actually thought that you would pick him as the uh, the standout performer because he has uh, yeah, his mus- Scorpio-like no mus- musicianship you know. is amazing, but I, I don't know um, his stage presence. Uh, I don't. It's it's a bit cringe. It's a bit cringe. It's like kind of. I, I don't want to be too critical. He has his thing. I really appreciate him as a bass player. I, I love what he does with the music. But his stage antics are just not for me. I prefer Jason. Yes, I think that Rob Trujillo actually reminds you of new metal bands, I would say. No, no, not that. And... No, no. Just that. I don't know. He's not like. It just. Like his image. Like all these moves that he has, like they don't really fit how I imagine Metallica. Maybe because I grew up with Jason in the lineup, so it's very difficult to put that together. But he's still a phenomenal musician, so I don't mind. He can do whatever he wants, as far as I'm concerned. He's, I, I wouldn't want them to replace him with anyone else. At this point, I'm not sure that I would want Jason to come back. You know, Rob is fine. Okay, fair enough, Vlada. 
Do you have anything to add? I, I think that we have covered everything about this great band. No, nothing to add. I think that uh, it's important to remember why Metallica was important in the first place, as much as they might be grating nowadays and too big for their own good. Um, they are a classic band for a good reason, and I think we will be listening to Metallica many decades from now. Uh, new, uh, new generations will be discovering their music. They will be like the Beatles of metal in in a way. Ooh, that's a that's a strong statement right there, and I think it's completely justified. You know, you have those other metal greats like. Ozzy Osbourne and Black Sabbath and Iron Maiden, Judas Priest, but Metallica is kind of in their own league, so to say. And uh, so say, is no, Sabbath, no. Sabbath, and then everyone else. Okay. Oh, I, I completely agree. I mean, I'm not a huge metal <laughs> fan. I'm not an active heavy metal listener, but if I had to pick one band that's that stands out, that would definitely be Black Sabbath. Yeah, and okay, so. That's pretty much it for today. I hope you enjoyed this little, very short discussion that we've had. Uh, I Before we leave, I just want to give a huge shout out to all our patrons. You guys are awesome. Uh, without your help, we wouldn't be able to do this. And we're so grateful to have such faithful fan base. For the rest of you, if you want to support us, check out our Patreon page. Uh, you can support us with as little as $1 a month, and that would mean a lot to us. And also, we would love to hear from you. If you have any feedback, whether it's negative or positive, just let us know. We would love to know if you're listening to us. So we are very eager to hear from you. Yes, that's right. Okay, so we are about to wrap this up here. Dear listeners, thanks a lot for listening to to our podcast feel free to engage with us to comment on our social media and uh, the handle is the same soundrise pod on twitter instagram and facebook and also what i want to say here is that uh, we will release a special minisode after this episode so we are giving you guys some bonus contact, uh, content. Uh, it is actually related to one of the former members of Metallica. And I hope you'll enjoy that one as well. Um, Till the next time, all the best and see you in a week. Write a review and then you can share it. With the world. In any social media platform. And then your friends see it and you can share and discover new shows together. This is Steph, instigator of Pod Rev Day, Podcast Review Day. And I'm Andy from Inspired Money. And I'm Arielle of Earbuds Podcast Collective and CastBox. We're here to tell you everything you need to know about Pod Rev Day. Which is on the 8th of every month, of every year, of every century, of every... You get it. We are posting podcast reviews as part of hashtag Pod Rev Day, Podcast Review Day. Because podcasters work their butt off and deserve to know how much they've impacted your lives. And you can do that through reviews. Even one star feels surprisingly <laughs> good. Does it? It lets you know that people are at least listening. Don't be a passive podcast listener. Write a review and tell your favorite creator what you love about their podcast or about a specific episode. And to participate, you just need to do one review. And we'll see you every eighth of the month. Podweb Day. Because podcasters deserve to hear it. 
Hashtag Pod Rev Day. P-O-D-R-E-V-D-A-Y.